0: of Slaytanik Verkast, the internet's only comprehensive chronological retrospective of the world's greatest thrash metal band, the mighty Slayer. Each week we dissect a track from their back catalogue by playing through the song, analysing the lyrics and giving a final appraisal. I'm Mo from France and to my west, broadcasting from a haunted school somewhere near Skegness, it's Dr. Lequescence. How you doing, Doc?
1: I'm very well, thank you very much. Um, that's yeah, cool. um, it's very haunted. Mm-hmm. Um, as night fell, ghosts oozed out of the very stones. Oh God, that's terrible. Being, and being and being Doctor Lequescent I know a thing or two about oozing. Yeah, well, I mean, you're, you're, a, you're, you're, you're a squidgy kind of guy, aren't you? I am, and I can promise you, they didn't manifest themselves, they oozed. (laughs) Um, Imagine, if you will, that they had been waxen sculptures Mm. that had been subjected to a blast of heat, Mm. and they trickled down into the gaps in Mm. between the accursed blood-soaked stones. Imagine that process in reverse. The ectoplasm. Um, Being Skegness, being being on the East Coast, being close to the North Sea, it had a a, a saltier odour than I'm used to for Um, ectoplasm.
0: There there are many ways to interpret that comment, uh, Doc.
1: And please do bear in mind that my name is Dr Mm LaQuestance. I thought
0: today we could um, start by talking about metal. And in particular, you tell me, Dr LaQuestance, Talk to me about
1: the kinds of metal you think is funny. Uh, Swedish melodic power metal.
0: Oh cool. God! Give me some examples. Have you got some names on the on on the tip of your tongue? Oh, Hammerfall.
1: Oh, Hammerfall. No, what kind of a terrible mood I'm in? Um, oh, cool. Hammerfall will start by curling up the very very edges of my downturned mouth.
0: Mm. Um,
1: and by the time it hits the first bombastic chorus, I've got a mm. big grin all over my face.
0: I mean, certainly, um, they're, 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 you know, for me, their first three albums are j- just slices of pure, joyous, you know, bombastic nonsense. I
1: absolutely fucking love it. You do not get happier than those men do.
0: Um, you know... Um, singing songs about, you know, dragons. Um, where, where can you go wrong, really, with, with that subject matter? Dragons, fire,
1: <laughs> um, battles, Seal. enormous swords. Yes, of course. Um, yeah, I, I mean, there's, there's nothing about any of those records that just does not bespeak a bunch of men precisely where they want to be in the world and full of joy that they're able to.
0: Now, you know, how current are you with them? Because
1: I, I found their, you know, their
0: latter-day latter output to be quite disappointing.
1: Probably I party company with their new mater- their, their material that was coming out post-1997. Oh, God. 1997.
0: OK, yeah, yeah, so, oh, yeah, so, yeah. OK, so you, you probably missed 10 albums or so. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. Well, yeah exactly. But but you know, um, certainly they're, those first they're a bit three, prolific, aren't they? Well, uh, you, you, uh, they drop an album every couple of years, basically. Um, okay. But they you know, certainly, I would, I would totally agree. Their their first three their first three efforts are are absolutely majestic. Um, for me, my go to, you know, make me chortle and chuckle and bring a, you know, just bring a a spring to my step is something like, and to be honest, it's not a million miles from yours, it's something like Manowar, Um, you know, just any any group, any band that feels confident appearing on stage in loincloths, they're okay by me.
1: Um, I have uh, the very, very old now uh, Manowar Greatest Hits Hmm. Um, album, uh, which I believe you bought for me for my birthday one year. Oh, really? Yeah, I believe you did. Um, <laughs> and uh, the only thing you can make of the cover is, my goodness me, there is a bunch of men who are absolutely confident in their masculinity and their heterosexuality.
0: Sure, absolutely. Yeah. It, it, um, it's almost like, what are you trying to hide, isn't
1: it? Well superficially you think that and then after staring at the album cover for 15 or 20 seconds you think no they've got absolutely nothing to hide (laughs) they're men from manly country um, who are just so utterly composed in themselves and have so few insecurities that they can all appear tightly pressed together shoulder to shoulder and groin to butt Mm. each of them wearing nothing but a rabbit skin posing pouch and half a gallon (laughs) of baby oil and, it, and and they're all they're all ripped up as well, aren't they?
0: You know, they they, they they are so they are so butch. Yes, I think I think the kids these days, Doc, call it hench. They are
1: hench, I believe. Well, they're they're renowned for the remorseless and uh, one would assume really quite tiring touring schedule
0: mm, mm. Uh, and, and, and i suppose on, on 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 the tour bus there's the, there's nothing to do but uh, pump iron i guess nothing but
1: pump on bus. The- <laughs> they're nothing pumping but- something up for sure <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean uh, i you've you've got to be in good shape uh, i i I believe they held the Guinness Book of, they held three Guinness World Records at one point for the loudest concert ever, the loudest single guitar solo ever, um, and the most number of shows by any what you might call first class touring act. Mm. And I think it's 280 shows in one year. That's not that, that is
0: not bad going. Let's move on. We should. Welcome to part two of the podcast. Here we listen to the track of the week and this week we are listening to track three from Slayer's debut album Show No Mercy. The track is entitled Die by the Sword. Let's go. Doc?
1: So returning to the theme that I seem to keep bringing up all the time, um, going into this album, I was prepared for it being, I started off thinking of it as for historical purposes only, um, and I'm sort of changing my opinion a bit as much as I'm, I'm now thinking of it as full of historical curiosities.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I'm trying to imagine where in the overall career of Slayer that they, they might have written this song. Mm-hmm. Um, first things first, I would say very early on. It sounds um, early
0: to me. It sounds early. It sounds like this sounds like you, you know this to me. The, the the opening riff, the vocal style, the almost kind of I hesitate to say it, but the almost kind of non existence of the of, of of the verse riff. Um, yeah, it does suggest you know almost. It's very, it seems very, it feels very, very adolescent
1: to me. If you say that, let's carry on.
0: Quite a heavy chorus. Yeah, definitely quite heavy. You know, because you know they're, you know, they're doing the old chug. Uh, then, you know, they're not playing open strings there. They're palm muting the strings. Um, so it brings a, a,
1: a heaviness to it. It's it, 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 pretty good. Um, who and when invented chugging? Oh, I mean, my God. D-
0: d- d- talk about dropping uh, a question on me. I have no idea. I, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing. And, 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 and I, I'm literally pulling this out of my arse somebody like Eric Clapton in Cream, something like that, or maybe The Who at some point.
1: Yeah, um, I've got a feeling it's one of those questions like, what's the first slasher movie? Yeah, yeah. and you can probably go back to some '30s blues guitarist or something, and, and you, you you can find some evidence of some palm muting or something like that. Sure. So yeah.
0: So so that's an interesting distinction. Is it so who invented it and who popularised it? They're kind of two different things, aren't they? I guess.
1: Yeah, and who used it as a. Um, as a style, who used it as a, a, an, an idiom um, in its own right within the context of metal. Yeah, I, I'm
0: wondering if, if, if you know, one, one of the kind of Germanic speed metal bands that pre that I believe predate um, the American thrash scene. You know, something like Accept. Uh, I wonder if they did a bit of uh, palm muting along there. I'm, sure, I'm pretty sure they probably did.
1: Yeah, um, I have no idea. Uh, palm muting, chugging, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, um, I have always assumed it has been an intrinsic part of metal, but it hasn't. It hasn't always been there. Mm. And uh, if any of our listeners would sort of care to make a case for um, which band, which track, which album, and approximately when it it became a thing, and then how quickly it spread, how mm. how, how quickly it became the preeminent definer of metal. I've got a question. Did Sabbath yes. ever use it? Um, I would imagine Sabbath used absolutely every trick in the book. Yeah, I, I would
0: have thought so.
1: I would have thought so. And so clearly that, you
0: know, Sabbath are undoubtedly a metal band. Um, and, you know, and, and so therefore, you know, if they used it, maybe that was the first popularisation
1: of it within the genre. Yeah, I suppose what I really mean is, I think you're probably right. Um, when did it go from being merely another tool in the guitarist's toolbox, mm. along with uh, hammer-ons and pull-offs and pick squeals mm. mm. um, and bends and tremolo waggling? When did it go from being another tool in the box to um, being the guitarist's cordless drill in the context sure. of metal? Well, no, you're
0: right. Let's let, let, let's press on. Let's go! That change-up is absolutely fantastic, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely sensational. Love it.
1: A couple of very interesting influences at work here. Um, this is the first time in Slayer that I have detected um, the oft-mentioned um, influence of Venom. Well, you, you, Dr. Dr.
0: you've just read my mind. I was I, I was about to invoke the name of Venom
1: yeah yeah for um, sure one of those things that everyone quote-unquote knows slayer were massively influenced by venom yeah but it's always an influence i struggled to spot mm-hmm. um but no there it is um, there it is dead, um, dead center dead center that die by the sword uh, is welcome to hell yeah absolutely fantastic let's keep going yeah.
0: those evil chords in the background my god how much do i love
1: that um yeah and i mean you're it's another one of those interesting songs where you're watching slayer start out very cookie cutter Mm -hmm. something that necessarily have been out of place on a third division nooban band from 1977 correct Um, and if we begin to maybe make our first mark in the book to define what makes Slayer so good and this tends to be um something that all of my favorite bands have in common what makes them so good not necessarily their ability to play very complicated stuff or Mm -hmm. even the ability to come up with really original ideas but the ability to spot genius when they hear it and to synthesize it along with a pile of other genius and non-genius components. Mm. Um, it's an engineering approach to musicianship. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you don't sit down with a blank piece of paper um, and design something from, from from scratch. You go through the manufacturers' catalogues and see which components you can get off the shelf to assemble in an interesting way. I think what Slayer do, um, and, and 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 they're just dem- they're, they're, they're
0: demonstrating it here in this song, and later in their career, when they you know when, when they briefly dallied with the horror that is new metal. Um, they, what they do is they say, look, yeah, we can do that as well, but can you do this, motherfuckers? Um, you know, and, and, and so they take those raw ingredients and then just elevate it to a different
1: level. Definitely. Um, I'm going to agree with everything you said, mm. and I'm going to flog my horse again and say uh, it's the ability to synthesize. Yeah, let's press on.
0: Tom vocal styles in this track so far I really like this second one he doesn't utilize it very often um, you know it, it, it's not his normal delivery um, I, I really don't like the way he starts singing the song I must be honest with that kind of you know vocal cord stretching stuff that he, that, that he does quite a bit on his first album not a fan but this this delivery is, is, is pretty interesting I, I like it you know it is, there's a bit of bark to it. Um, I like it. It's unusual. He's also making a
1: big point of pronouncing his his T's in an excessively idiomatic um, Northern UK style. Oh, I don't know if you noticed that. No, I didn't know. No, tell me why. Why, yeah. why? do you think that is? Um, because in this particular era of time, uh, heavy metal is British. Mm.
0: Oh, that's not oh, very interesting.
1: Um, it's um, uh, rock, hard rock uh, Mm. is a US thing Mm. Um, the US nobody would ever dispute it Um, but if you want to be metal um, you sing in a West Midlands or Tyneside accent and you think he's trying Um, to replicate that? um, I think he's acknowledge uh, metal is obviously very concerned with roots origins history um Mm. and he's doing two things he wants to uh, he wants to make it idiomatically correct
0: Mm
1: -hmm. uh in the same way that if he was singing opera uh he wouldn't sing opera in a west coast u.s accent either he'd try and have some sort of authentic italian accent
0: sure Um, yeah
1: so he's, he's making it idiomatically appropriate um and he's sending a loud and clear message to the posers and second divisioners um, and come-latelys um, that he knows his stuff and he's been there from the beginning. What? What a hipster. Let's keep going.
0: Now, here's the stuff. Here's the stuff, Doc. This is the first time so far... You know, in the three tracks that we've, that we've listened to, this is the first time that Slayer get down and dirty with some single note finger picking, um, you know, that they become so, that they, in the future, become so renowned for. It's sensational stuff.
1: Absolutely. Uh, um, a little uh, before, in that song, you had the first, what I think can generally be characterised as a, a Kerry King solo. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got some staggering abuse of the tremolo bar mm, mm. and I'd have been fascinated to have watched them play this live early on when they didn't have stupidly expensive equipment because I've got mm. no idea how he kept his guitar in tune through that lot I you, you lean on the, the tremolo arm of an inexpensive guitar the way he did just then and your tuning is to help I, I don't have never really- owned a
0: guitar which I can kind of you know, which which I can bend the tremolo with, and it remains in tune. I've never ever owned a guitar with,
1: with, with that level of precision. Never. You've got to pay. Um, I know. You've had a couple decent pieces. You've had some Ibanez and some things like that. Uh, I know some people who've had some slightly more expensive pieces than you've had. Um, they've never had any more success. I, I, I don't know. Um, you need the locking clamps to go on the strings at both ends. You need a really mm. expensive tremolo setup. Mm. Uh, you probably need your setup done by an expert tuner. Um, I would have been fascinated to have seen Slayer at this point in the career, watch him do that, and then know what the hell his guitar sounded like afterwards yeah. before he had a chance to tune up again. No, no I think you're absolutely correct. It,
0: it, you know, As they walked off stage, if you'd picked that guitar up and tried to play it, I think it would have sounded absolutely dreadful. Let's keep going. general i would say for slayer you know that 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 not much atonality going on you know it's generally all pretty pretty bog standard you know following the following the the, following the scales following the key
1: yeah nothing exceptional but it works i think it's beautiful do you really what you've essentially got is here slayer laying out all of their influences, one after another, side by side, um, making a statement of intent. Um, you start off with some cookie cutter no album. Mm-hmm. Um, you go into some proto black metal. Mm-hmm. Um, you go into a couple of bits, and I don't know what the influence was on these. I suspect it was some now long forgotten West Coast hardcore bands that they probably played with or knew personally. Sure. Um, but you've got some weird, um, I'm going to call them bad harmonies. You know the bits yeah. I'm talking about mm-hmm. Of course. Um, they're the two, the two guitars that in the hands of, um, we could simultaneously say both better and worse musicians mm. would just be banally harmonised, mm-hmm. but they're not, and yet, and yet it still works. Mm-hmm. Then have a bit, I'm going to come back to this in a minute um, and say the words Dario Argento to me. this is when this section's over okay i need to come back to this then um you get an enormous black sabbath breakdown right at the end um which could easily have come from the end of war pigs um or something like that um i think it's an absolutely fantastic um in terms of symphonic composition um it's an overture Mm -hmm. it's these are the themes which we are going to use from here on in the four different movements mm-hmm. one and two and three and four yeah uh, and it's an absolute it's 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 a manifesto it's a statement of intent sure you
0: you hear much Dr. Lee questions let's press on in fact <laughs> let's finish up Sword by Slayer, track three from Show No Mercy. And um, whoever
1: mic'd up that drum kit needs to be doused in kerosene. <laughs> well, you know, and
0: uh, you know, it, it's it's a double crime, isn't it? Because the sound of the kit is is not very good at all, and the fact that it is Dave Lombardo's
1: kit is almost heresy, basically. Um, you mean there was a kit? Well, more like it here was a snare drum and one cymbal.
0: Sure, yeah,
1: but you know, the, the, surely that's a relic of its time.
0: I can't think of an album from that era where where the, where the drums are produced with any kind of um, any kind of competence. To be honest.
1: There's a product of its time, there's also a function of very small budgets in the studio, mm. and then there's a fucker who doesn't know how to mic up a drum kit. Mm.
0: Mm.
1: Now, um, do you think that the, 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 the drums on that song
0: are produced differently to the to the two preceding? Because you didn't, you didn't seem to be quite as furious about the production on the drums of the last two tracks.
1: No, no, no. I think the production on the drums on that track is much worse. Oh, really? Um, That's very interesting. Yeah. I'm going to stick my neck out here. I think it comes from a different session. Mm-hmm. I think it comes from an earlier recording session in, in a much cheaper studio. Sure. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to learn it's done with a portable eight track machine um, in a better than average practice room. Um, I mean, I, you know, I,
0: I do agree. I think the production on the drums is noticeably inferior to the production on every other aspect of, 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 the, of, of the recording. You know, it, it, the drums almost sound like they are you, 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 totally removed from, 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 from the song itself. Um, yeah, very, very, very poor.
1: I think, if anything, that's a function of, um, you've done this, and I know I have. When you first start trying to record your band, um, whether you get this idea from something you've read somewhere or, or whether you just assume that this is how, how, how all recordings are done, And you assume that recordings are done basically the same way as a live show, um, but in a padded room um, with the chance for retakes. Mm. And you track as much of it as you can live. It's still an approach I favour. I really, really don't like excessive multi-tracking. I don't like excessive production, Mm -hmm. except in metal. I don't like excessive production uh, mm-hmm. there are other types of music where um the producer is in some cases the most important member of the band
0: mm-hmm.
1: um my favorite band ever um of which more later but uh, we're talking about slayer we're talking about metal um, and i think what we're hearing there is a function of a very cheap very rushed recording session um which i i strongly suspect they did themselves and i strongly suspect they had the idea that uh, we haven't actually got many microphones. We'll put two of them round the drum kit, the same as the uh, the sound man does at whatever, cl- uh, w- whatever club we're playing at. Yeah, the, the impression
0: I get, and, 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 and you know, certainly this is something that I have done previously, is you've got, let's say, six hours in the recording studio, because that's all you can afford, and, you know, the thing that needs to be done in the recording studio, is the drums. Everything else you can do somewhere else. Um, So get the drums down,
1: quick. You could be right. Uh, It's probably, um, it's the foundational thing. It's probably the thing you can get done most reliably and then put by enough time for re-recording the solos, re-recording the vocals, re-recording-
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Well, you, once
0: the drums are there, you've got the template, haven't you? So you, you know, you, you can you can you can you know use a four track or an eight track in a different location, based on because you've got the beat, you've got the beat. Um, I don't know if I want to ask you this question or not.
1: Um, is it a good song? I think it's um, a great song. Yeah. I don't think it's a particularly good Slayer song. Sure. Um, But in the context of, I don't know whether I'm doing this too much, and I'm I'm keen to avoid apologia um, where I can, but I'm trying to put this in the context of the time in which it was um, written and played live and recorded and released. Mm. Um, We're still far too early in, even if at this point in their career, Slayer already had a very clear image in their minds of what Slayer was supposed to be it would almost have been playing their hand too early to have come out with it right now. Um, Because they're a metal band in amongst a bunch of other metal bands trying to make an impression on a scene which isn't as overcrowded as the metal scene is now and, and isn't as overcrowded as the metal scene would have become by 1988 or 1990. Sure. But there's still plenty of bands and you need to make an impression because at this time, the primary means of getting hold of an album for the kids was to go into a record store and buy one. Mm -hmm. Of course. Um, Your core audience of Slayer, your town might not have had a metal scene. Um, Or if it did, the metal scene would have been kids who are older than you who probably sneered at Slayer. Mm. You might have been the only kid in your town who wanted to acquire the Slayer album. You couldn't go halves on a mate and make a tape copy. Um, So if you're a metal band at this point you have to come up with a reason for people to buy your album and one one of the ways that you can do that is by having a bunch of styles and a bunch of different kinds of songs and a Mm -hmm. bunch of uh, and and to try to cover the spectrum so that if a not very wealthy working class kid um, has blown a significant amount of his disposable income on buying the album he's going to Come away liking you because there's three or four songs, two or three or four songs, on it um, that he likes.
0: And, and, and even within within an individual within, within an, an individual song, you know there, there will be, there will always be moments that are of interest. You know, so it might, you know it might not be your favourite track of theirs, but oh, there's that killer there's that killer breakdown or the, the, the killer intro or the excellent outro,
1: etc. You know, and in that song you've got that. And you've got it almost in a progressive rock kind of way. I, I mentioned earlier on, uh, and jokingly, and I said in the context of symphonic composition, what you've got there is the overture. Actually, what you've got there is something like a, a yes track, mm-hmm. sort of in miniature, mm-hmm. where it does four different things in four different styles. They're all metal. They're all heavy. They're all loud. They're all noisy and offensive. Sure. But if you, if you know your Venom and you know your Maiden and you know your Saxon, um, and um, you know your Sabbath, then you can pick out four distinct. It's it's um, it's a progressive rock track. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Dressed up as thrash, I suppose. Although I imagine at the time they did not refer to themselves as a thrash band.
1: I don't think so either. No. When did thrash? When did the word thrash become a thing? Do. I think I always associate it with anthrax. Um, thrash.
0: Um, I'm thinking, yeah, maybe, you know, uh, Rain in Blood, Master of Puppets. Anthrax at that time would have been what? That would have been Among the Living, I suspect, is, is, is the album uh-huh. they were churning out at that time. Megadeth would have been doing something like Peace Cells, I think, around that time. Yeah, so I, I, I think it's there that that, 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 that term really get, gets prominence. But, you know, we, 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 we're vamping a little bit, aren't we? We're not sure.
1: I'm not sure. I think I assume that the expression thrash came about from people who... it was at the time when, I think, perversely, metal was beginning to share a cultural space with hip-hop mm. uh, in as much as not because they sounded anything like each other and they, they there certainly wasn't the crossover at that point in history but that they, they were both outsider music um they were both music for respectively economic outsiders and ethnic outsiders mm. um thrash the the classic thrash bands that you just mentioned saw themselves at least as possessing social consciousness or political consciousness of some description. Mm-hmm. and I think they wanted to put some distance between themselves and the, by then, rather debased concept of heavy metal.
0: Certainly, I, you know, I think, I think these bands wanted to distinguish themselves from the likes of Maiden in particular. I think, but, you know, by this point, Maiden were, you know, possibly the biggest metal band in the world, And I think these guys, you know, you know, our American cousins considered a lot of their kind of, you know, sword and sorcery imagery in their in their lyrics a little bit, a little bit silly. Um, Anyway, let's not burn all of our content in one single episode. Um, (laughs) And let's move on to part three. Okay, welcome to part three of the podcast. In this section, we talk about the lyrics of the song that we've already listened to. Um, So here we go. Verse one. by the sword and help to contain the helpless minds of you all die by my hand in pools of blood clutch yourself as you fall mindless tyranny forgotten victims children slaughtered in vain raping the maids in which they serve only the words of the lord the chorus we might as well deal with the chorus at the same time because it is One expression, die by the sword,
1: repeated. Okay, Doctor, what do we think? At the risk of overthinking this a bit too much, I think it is a clear attempt to draw a connection between medieval or pre-medieval wartime atrocities.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Crusades, could be the 30 Years' War, um, and the modern practice of organized religion in the modern world?
0: Mm. The, uh, the image it conjures in my mind is, you know, like the Salem witch trials, something like that, that kind of era, um, you know, kind of the dark ages, maybe post-dark ages, just about, but medieval times, um, you know, uh, where, where, where the church has total, a total grip, on society, um, and, and and so invoking this kind of satanic imagery would be would, would be a terrifying thing. I, I'm not saying that the song is about that. I'm saying that is the kind of imagery that it invokes in my mind.
1: Yeah, and, um, and it's clearly meant to. Yeah. I think
0: something so. like that.
1: Um, in the exact same way what, what I took away from it, um, I think very specifically I came away with an image of the 30 Years' War mm-hmm. in Europe. Remind Uh, remind the listeners. Of course, I totally know what that is, but just remind the listeners. As with all ethnic conflicts and what we'd now call um, asymmetric wars or non-conventional wars, it's very, very difficult to put into a few words um, because everyone's got their own take on it. It was fundamentally a large-scale, low-intensity war between approximately Protestant forces and Catholic forces in mm-hmm. the area which is approximately now Germany. In, in which epoch are we talking here? Um, the 16th 17th century okay. um, and so uh, shortly before um, the the decisive Europe forming war between the um, Commonwealth of Poland Lithuania and the Ottoman Empire mm-hmm. which is a conflict that, that, that shaped Europe as we know it now Mm. So in those days, there was no such thing as Germany. Um, France was a very nascent nation. Um, The big players were Turkey, Poland, Lithuania, um, and oddly enough, Sweden. Mm -hmm. And it seems strange looking at it from the modern point of view, but it was the Swedes who committed most of the now legendary atrocities. Um, Even by the standards of the time, it was unusual for... It's common practice now in irregular warfare, but it wasn't common practice then for two armies not to attempt to fight each other, but to attempt on to uh, to attempt very much to slaughter each other's civilian power bases. Mm -hmm. So ruin each other's crops, um, kill each other's children. Sure. Um, And it's it's the reason the conflict was sustained for these whole entire 30 years, because um, the idea was to annihilate your enemy generationally. Sure. So, like a
0: true war of attrition, effectively, it
1: it was what by World War One had been called the war of attrition. Um, The mechanisation of World War One made it possible to speed the process up very much through artillery and machine guns. Yeah. But several hundred years previous to that, you had to do everything one sword thrust and one strangulation at a time. Yeah. So, so by the time we get to World War One, we could do it in four years. Where
0: three hundred years previously took. Thirty years to, to achieve the same end.
1: That's right yeah um, but I think the point is that it was I think most historians would seem to think that it was one of the earliest wars in which both sides um, decided they, they were going to try to avoid fighting each other and what mm-hmm. they were going to, going to concentrate on was each other's civilian population. Sure sure. Um, which is obviously how most modern warfare and most what, what, what we charmingly call low intensity warfare or asymmetric warfare works you don't pick a fight if you can you sneak around in the middle of the night and butcher a bunch of the enemy's women and kids well that's, that's certainly what i do um there's a line here clutch yourself as you
0: fall now that word clutch is i, I find very interesting because it you know it, it's a strange collocation a collocational verb for me because when we think about clutching what's the first thing that comes to mind it's like clutching pearls isn't it um you know so so it is this just, is this meant to invoke the the idea of women being killed
1: um i think it's meant to invoke the idea of a non of, of an immediately non-lethal wound sure but you're not you're not fighting a soldier um you're not disarming a guy and cutting his head off so he mm-hmm. can't come back at you you're mm-hmm. going through an enemy village
0: yeah. um,
1: and if one little stab will do it yeah, so, and then he clutch at that wound yes Yeah. Well, um, I, yeah I understand which point, yeah. at which point the guy who the, the, the stabbed you just leaves you to bleed out because you probably will, you'll probably die of peritonitis or infection or something any, um, any, anything in this first verse jump out jump out at you doc? lyrically? Um, usual slayer bad grammar raping mm-hmm. the maids in which they serve. That, that, it's, thats It's a terrible line, a terrible yeah, line a... isn't it? Yeah, absolutely awful.
0: Yeah. But it, but, uh, but it continues into the next line, in which they serve only the words of the Lord. So it, it kind of works, but it would be grammatically difficult, I agree. Um.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's not a very good line, I'm sorry. No, it's about not. That. No, you're right. I, I totally agree. Yeah. So
0: bad grammar aside, let's move on to verse two. Satan was all of us, smart us up new as biddy. Try to escape the pass of my hand, the left of the library shift. Hear our cry, save us from the hell in which we live. We turn our heads to the sky, listen for the steel. Satan watches all of us, smiles as <laughs> Every so often, as I'm reading these lyrics, I am, I am going to, I am going to chuckle. <laughs> Satan watches all of us. Smiles. <laughs> oh dear, good Lord, Jeff, come on, Jeff, you can do better than the
1: word smiles. Satan oh, watches all. I Satan... love this. I love these two lines. Get control of yourself, young man. I love these two lines because it's... (laughs) Let me get get through it. Let me get through it. Hold on.
0: (laughs) Satan watches all of us, smiles as some do his bidding, try to escape the grasp of my hand and your life will no longer exist. Hear our cry, save us from the hell in which we live. We turn our heads towards the sky and listen for the steel, and then we get the repeated chorus again. Okay, so you seem to be a,
1: a big advocate for those chucklesome first two lines. Tell God, explain yourself. One of my favourite things about Slayer lyrics is the way that they'll, they'll sometimes <laughs> use an unintentional, mild understatement. Go on. And, um, <laughs> I think in the song before this one, it was, and then we returned from the dead. You're right. Yes, I remember. Yeah. Um, (laughs) What I'm going to do is um, I'm going to go to work all day and then I'm going to stop off at the chip shop and get some fish and chips and go Uh, home. Right. um, (laughs) I'm 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 going to go
0: to the pub, have a couple of pints, and then I'm going to get a kebab. Yeah, you're right. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This this is a good one. This really makes me chuckle. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, you, Satan watches all of us. It's, it's so menacing. It's a great start. It's so ominous. Yeah. And then, but it smiles. Smiles. What the a, fuck a, are you a, thinking, Jeff?
1: Smiles are so doers' bidding. Oh, dear. Yeah. I don't uh, like it, it. it. I don't um, like it. I always had the idea that, you know, um, <laughs> Satan. Satan would would bring the entire human race beneath his dominion crushing sure. opposition without yeah. mercy. he's happy if some do his Just some thing. just so it's enough. Just so. He <laughs> don't want to do my bidding. That's <laughs> fine, dude. That's fine. <laughs> We're all chill
0: here. Um he's sm- and he's just smiling, you know. He's not grinning. <laughs>
1: You know, no. <laughs> look, there some doing my bidding, and yeah. that's
0: great. That's right, that's right. It's that's a te- it's great. A, it's a terrible, want... terrible line.
1: Just so long as the rest of you guys know, the party's going on over here, and any time you want to join, just bring a six-pack.
0: <laughs> that's right, you got it, yeah, exactly, yeah. Bring some whiskey and a mixer, and we, we, we can have a good time. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, it, anything else, jump out there, because to me, this is, you know, it. It's pretty nondescript, to be
1: honest. Um, well, apart from the last line. The last
0: line is it,
1: it, yeah. exactly what I was what I was going to mention. Correct. Go on, sir. Medieval, medieval, medieval all the way through. And this is what specifically makes me think it's meant to make you think of medieval or pre-medieval wartime atrocities mm-hmm. um, and associating them. Because then you have a very clear reference for, and I don't know... I, I assume it's meant to be incoming artillery, and listen for the steel.
0: Well, it's- I think I think they're just ref- that, that's referring to the sword, isn't it? Now I'm guessing that you're about to tell me that in this point in history, if we are correct, that steel did not exist, or, or certainly, uh-huh. you know, we, uh, had not been moulded in, 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 into swords by this point.
1: It wasn't an industrial production. Uh, there sure. was a method of steel production called a uh, bloomery, which was, um, it was practiced in Turkey. Um, it was also practiced in Japan mm-hmm. and in certain other parts of the world, but it was by no means an industrial process. What it, it, it's, um, it's called a bloomer, because uh, mm-hmm. you, um, you make it like bread. You start off with a pig of iron um, and a, a, a guy who made steel in those days was a sort of borderline wizard um, the, the the definition between the guy who made steel and a real alchemist or mm. a, a, some, some sort of wizard because he he had his magic formula which was the special mixture of ground up powder and the other chemicals you need for the process and you would sprinkle that into the bloomer fold it in half pound it flat again sprinkle mm. some more powder and fold it in half and you do that 20 times and that's how you come by your your, your million thicknesses sure Um, So, yes, there was steel. Um, It was by no means um, industrially produced. And the idea of um, somebody... um, The idea of somebody having a steel weapon on a battlefield where most of the weapons were iron and wood um, would have made that person a decisively more capable belligerent.
0: I'm sure this is all correct. And I'm sure... You know, that um, in terms of chronology, it doesn't make a lot of sense, that word. But I think we have to remember that this is a metal song written by Jeff Hanneman, who at, at, at this time was probably 20, 21 years of age. I don't think he was particularly interested in, in historical accuracy. I think he just thought the line sounded fucking cool. Because it sounds really
1: metal, and, and it sounds very, very... Judas Priest. And I think um, at that age, and being interested in metal, I think you can bet your life he'd seen Conan the Barbarian. Sure. Um, where there was a great long narration um, at the beginning about the, the 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 mystical properties of the secrets of steel. Ah,
0: very interesting. Okay, I, 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 I've seen it, I don't remember that.
1: Yeah. Um, it's obviously Conan the Barbarian is based on some um turn-of-the-century pulp fiction Mm -hmm. some better-than-average turn-of-the-century pulp fiction and it's set in the hyperborean age um which is a mystical non-existent period in the history of earth or possibly some other planet i'm not sure you can't mention hyperborean age without without at least giving a little nod to balsagoth surely i wouldn't dream of it surely um I wouldn't even dream of mentioning the (laughs) Hyperborean Age without giving full props to Balsagoth. But uh, yeah, uh, the the Conan mythos um, I think hinges very much on there was a certain period in history when steel existed Mm -hmm. um, and it was a borderline mystical process to make it. Um, The way in which it was produced was kept as a, a borderline Freemasonic or possibly even an actual Freemasonic secret. Sure. Um, and possessing a steel weapon um, on a battlefield would m- would definitely have made you a much more effective belligerent than everybody else who had wooden-hafted pikes or iron weapons.
0: Sure, but, but,
1: but it's but it
0: clear that that is the only line in this verse that really stands out, doesn't it? It makes you think, oh, what, what are they talking about?
1: Um, yeah, and particularly since, until you said so, I hadn't associated it with any of that. I had read it through the once, and I had automatically assumed um, it was an allusion to artillery incoming. Mm.
0: Mm. I don't think so. Oh, you, you know, no, for for, for me, no, not at all. This, this this is all kind of medieval times, you know, men in men in armor carrying broadswords. You know, of course, feel free to interpret it as you, <coughs> know, Dr. L. But no, for me, this is the steel they're talking about is, is the steel of the sword.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah, I'll buy that for a fiver. We'll buy that.
1: OK, final bit of lyric to
0: deal with. And, you know, it's my singular there, which was quite fun. Um, this is not really a verse, I suppose, but kind of the breakdown. Um, flowers decay on the cryptic life that died. The wisdom of the wizards is only a nurtured lie. Black knights of hell's domain walk upon the dead. Satan sits upon the blood on which he feeds. And then the repetition of the chorus again. Now, I have to say that first, I love that first line. Watch as flowers decay what a beautiful kind of poetic darkly poetic kind of image i've got no idea what they're talking about um but you know but, uh, you've mentioned i think in, the, in in the previous two episodes that we've done kind of the cinematic nature sometimes of slayer's lyrics and i think this is a, a perfect example
1: yeah, yeah. Um, um where we're coming from in this verse and there was a bit of it in the previous verse as well it's a very purposeful callback to War Pigs by Black Sabbath. Mm. Oh, Go on, um, explain. Uh, so the last two lines of it, uh, Walk upon the dead, Satan's sits upon the blood in which he feeds. The, the, there are lines in the, the last verse of War Pigs, uh, which is, um, Begging mercies for their sins, Satan laughing, spread his wings. Mm. Um, I think in, in the original track, Black Sabbath by Black Sabbath, um, there's a reference to Satan smiling. He seems to do a lot of smiling. He? <laughs> he's he's a charming chap, isn't he? A yeah, lovely, that, lovely that, perky that, character. That, that, um, that mask made from the ossified goat head. Um, I, I wouldn't imagine it would be very easy to communicate, a smile through that. Mm-hmm, that's
0: true. But we, 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 we've, got, we've got grammar problems again. Satan, apostrophe S, sits <laughs> upon blood. What?
1: What is going on? It's self censorship, mate. Is it? Um, it should obviously be Satan's ass sits <laughs> upon the blood which he.
0: Yeah, because we, we, we definitely, we, we definitely, after the possessive apostrophe, we need a noun. Satan something. We need the noun. But anyway, we'll forget about that. The wisdom of the wizards.
1: What does that mean? Um, in the previous verse, we alluded to the rarity of steel. Mm -hmm. um the newness and modernity of steel and it's precisely the newness and the modernity of steel which contrasts with the fact that the um blacksmiths um were believed not believed but what what they had was something akin to an occult power or a um a, a, a a mythological power which one can imagine um, being handed down from, say, Hephaestus, the blacksmith of the gods.
0: Now, I'm looking at the line Black Knights of Hell's Domain. I think it's a fabulous line, but I can only imagine that is a bunch of kind of cool, dark words put together to sound cool and dark. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. that's that, that, that's what I've figured. That's what I've figured. Walk upon the dead. Um, again, this is just dark imagery, isn't it? Um, for me... Probably the best um, section of lyrics in the track, I would say, um, the most visually striking. You know, the one that kind of fires the imagination the most. And, uh, any final thoughts on on the on on the words of this particular track?
1: Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's it's their homage, homage. lyrically. Mm-hmm. It's their homage to War Pigs by Black Sabbath. Yeah, um, it's attempting to verse one. Um, it's attempting to um, set up an out of war point verse two is attempting to execute a narrative of war Mm. Um, verse three it's attempting to um, put forward an apocalyptic scenario um, and give you an idea of what the end of the world might look like
0: okay fair enough fair enough let's move on (laughs) welcome to the final part of the show and here We just talk about our final thoughts. Anything you forgot to mention so far, Doc?
1: There was. um, I needed to mention Dario Argento. Who be he? Italian director. Mm -hmm. um, Started work. um, You know what? uh, Listeners should probably research this for themselves because Mm. either they know already and they're groaning um, or they don't know and I can't do justice to the man's life and work, Mm -hmm. in a very few seconds. Very influential Italian director, um, often credited with being one of the many, many people who's credited with inventing the slasher movie, amongst other things. Probably in metal circles, best known for um, his run of supernaturally tinged um, psycho killer thrillers um, of the mid-'70s. Well, yeah, this is uh, giallo, the, 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 the giallo genre you're talking about. So, once again, we're getting off topic now. Um, I think um, Suspiria um, and... T- Tenebrae. Tenebrae and Profondo um, sure. think go far beyond giallo. Uh, it's uh-huh. far beyond um, an overcomplicated plot by bored wife to get rid of her boring husband Mm. um and you get a bunch of really dislikable people together in a seaside mansion um Mm. and have them offed in various entertaining ways and then in the last five minutes the person who you thought was the killer also turns up dead and the person who and, and the person who's actually the killer is someone you've never heard of before now i think if my memory is correct
0: in the case of phenomena the killer t- ends up being a chimpanzee with a big knife, which is <laughs> <She's> fabulous. <laughs> <But> anyway, <laughs> bring it back to
1: me. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> bring, bring it back to Slayer, Doc. So, in any case, um, Antonio Argento, amongst other people, um, let's not neglect Mario Bava. let's not neglect Lucio Fulky. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's although we probably should, uh, let's not uh, leave out uh, Ruggiero Deodato as well. Sure. sure. Cannibal... Ferox or Holocaust? I can never remember. It's kind of Holocaust. Sure. Uh, Cannibal Holocaust. Cannibal Ferox was Umberto Lenzi, mm. uh, who was, I think, satisfying himself not merely ripping off Dirty Harry all the time mm-hmm. and not merely ripping off Death Wish all the time, um, but ripping off Death Wish and Dirty Harry at once. <laughs> in every film he ever made. Sure, sure. Keep going. Um, get, on, get, get on with it. So, Dario Argento took the basic dimensions of the Italian giallo movie, the, 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 the Italian uh, psycho-killer film, um, added a bunch of supernatural elements, and one of the supernatural elements, or one of the weird elements he added, was um, the use of very, very strange background music. Mm. Um, often performed by a band called Goblin. Sure. Tangerine Dream, I think, as well, on occasion. That's right. Yeah. Um, And numerous other musicians who have had renaissances in the Exotica music scene Mm. that actually has nothing to do with their original recorded output and is entirely due to interest in Argento's work.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, I think if you listen to... Um, his, there's, there's a lovely expression which I first was used by a good friend of mine in the context of Trey Azagthoth's solos in Morbid Angel, um, and he called them incidental. Okay. Um, so, effectively, you've got the um, guitar, bass, and drums and vocals providing the narrative thrust of the music, and then they trade as usual, and you've got Kerry King and um, Jeff Hanneman effectively playing incidental music for the movie that's going on in the foreground mm-hmm. um, there's a couple of bits in there that just really made me sit up and go okay I get it now mm-hmm. um, and there's very specifically there's there's a tremolo wiggle um, that reminds you of the piece of music oblique stroke foley sound um, that you hear when um, is it Mater Lacrimata um, makes her her, her her appearance in Suspiria. yeah,
0: that's certainly the the, the the three witches, isn't it? That's one of the three yes. witches. Yes, yes, sure. Uh, I, I don't remember the names, to be honest. Lacramata, of course, being a reference to kind of mother of tears.
1: Yes. Yeah. Sure. Um, so yeah, I, I I believe that's the one in Suspiria, and um, the final scene, the um, our heroine um, effectively uses the, the, the weapon that's capable of destroying her and stabs in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the witch's disembodied spirit um, flickers and dies in a completely different part of the room. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a sound on the soundtrack. I'm gonna have to go back and check now. and It'll turn out to be nothing like what I imagined, mm-hmm. but um, it reminded me of that, whatever sound you hear at that particular moment. And I think there's a decision to have this very cinematic music with an outer thrust that tells a story um, and takes you from one place to another. And then in the style of a movie, it has, the music has its own incidental music playing along Mm -hmm. with it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what that made me think of. So, listeners, really, it's up to you to decide.
0: Is Dr. Lequescence a visionary who sees things that nobody else does? or, or, Or is he just start raving mad? It's one or the other. It's possibly both.
1: Hint, the second one was correct. Any other final thoughts, Doc? Um, none at all. Once again, we've managed to to mine quite a good deal of discussion um out of a Leicester Slayer track.
0: Well, don't 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 spoil your your kind of final verdict. So maybe that's the point to dive in there. So. How many uh, liquescent swords is is die is die ironically die by
1: the sword going to get? Just because of the scope of its ambition. Mm. I've said this before. You'll hear so you'll hear me say it many many more times. I admire ambition much more than I admire ability. Mm-hmm. Um, the ability and the fully formedness of Slayer as a band is not there yet, but. Oh, my goodness, the ambition and the willingness to do something like that is there. And for that reason, um, it's going to get eight swords out of ten. Oh, good Lord, that is way higher than I expected. Wow. Um,
0: so you, you really, really like that song. Um, now, <coughs> I don't really like this song very much. Um, I love the breakdown. I love when it goes into that kind of that, that, that venom chug... Um with the dark chords in the background, I really have a big problem with, with Tom's vocal delivery throughout most of the song, which I find very, very off-putting. Um, and I find the the, the the riff during the verse um, not particularly memorable. it, 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 it is a song. They play this song live very, very often. And I've always found it a little bit mystifying, um, and it's always the point in the gig where I go, "Oh, oh shit, not this again!" You know, it's like when it's like when Metallica play um, "Seek and Destroy." It's time to go for a piss, basically. Um, and but do Slayer
1: play this this track for about three years?
0: <laughs> no, they don't, and they don't seek any audience interaction. You know that <laughs> hellish, hellish invention of, of concerts. Good lord. Um, I'm going to give it, ah, oh, because I, it's tough. It would be four mutilated most schools, um, but that middle section is so absolutely brilliant. It's going to get six mutilated most schools out of 10 from me.
1: And of course, it has a smiling say in it.
0: And there is the joy of the smiling Satan. Okay, that about does it for this episode. Join us next time, when we will be discussing the fourth track from Slayer's debut album, Show No Mercy, which is of course, Fight Till Death. Slayer fans, do your homework. Goodbye.